Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hello. I'm also here with Dean Barker. Hey, Dean. Hello, Guthrie. Hello, Susan. So uh, uh, today we are continuing our continuing series. And, We're ending uh, it though. This is we think this is uh-huh. going to be the last one. Well, that's sad. But the last episode maybe. of the series, not the whole podcast. Well, yeah, maybe. All right, we've been doing a series about objects and object-oriented design. And uh, Dean, uh, I think, based on what you told me a moment ago, what you want to do in the place you want to take off today is where does object-oriented design fit in the overall UX design process? Yeah, the process context. We talked about a lot about history. We talked about the relationship to object-oriented programming. And uh, we talked about the, the approach from a modeling standpoint and some of the technical design aspects of it in terms of analysis. Uh, but we haven't touched on how it fits with all the other things that we like to do from a design perspective. Okay. So, Thought that so, would be how are we going to tackle good good, good thing to talk about. How are we going to tackle this? Uh, well, maybe top down. So my thinking was we could begin with a little bit of a general discussion about UX process, and then talk about uh, some of the object oriented methodologies that exist, and then maybe even dare we give some guidance and recommendations for how people. Uh, should use the, these ideas going forward in their own work. And you don't think that in itself is a six-part <laughs> series. I'm really, I'm really fascinated here to see how this is going to go. Because, right. you know, knowing you and I, and having gone through a discussion of UX process with you multiple times in our journeys mm-hmm. together... And how uh, long think, each of those took. I think you guys should really start by starting at the beginning of the UCD process and then sort of kind of walking I think we, through No, but I think we, be, before we do that, we should talk about a history of the UCD <laughs> process. Now, wait. Now I feel like you're mocking me. <laughs> no, I'm just, it's like, I'm really interested in how well, this is going to unfold. If you want a historical perspective, I did actually such bring big, some e-texts. It's such a big topic. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you, Dean. Go for it. I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to let you drive. Okay. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the general idea is process. And uh, there's a, if you're, if anybody is familiar with uh, the Mythical Man Month, which is a project management book, the author was a fellow named uh, Fred, Fred Brooks, Frederick Brooks. And he's got a great book that's not as nearly as well known. It's called The Design of Design. And so that, that concept of designing design process, I think, is really important. How do we do our design work? And it's not just a rhetorical question. It needs to be answered. And there is a distinction, uh, much as there is in development, uh, with what at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon, they, they make a distinction between team process and personal process. 
what I'm largely talking about is team process, right? With the assumption that most of what we do from a software product design perspective and a product design perspective is a team sport, right? So how do you do this work uh, from, from that perspective? And there are process methodologies, frameworks uh, that are published, that are proprietary. They're all over the, all over the place. And so, um, so as a perspective on that, I thought I would take kind of a, a representative sampling and, uh, and we can talk in general about these. Uh, excuse me. So Susan, I will start with one in particular, and that is the idea of design thinking. And we have our thoughts on design thinking, but the, the rough uh, flow of it, depending on the source that you're looking at, is discover, define, develop, and deliver, right? And it involves a process of divergent and convergent thinking. Design thinking has a rich history. It has been, I think, uh, in some ways oversold. It has been in some ways bastardized, but it's a big part of the literature and a big part of our design culture. Um, and it's quite in the zeitgeist. It's kind of a big deal. So I thought maybe it would be something to start with. So so maybe maybe begin with your thoughts on design thinking. Well, I, I, yeah, I just I just want to add uh, briefly. Um, I I like design thinking as a as a as a like a as something to teach. Uh, in my opinion, compared to some of the other methodologies and stuff, it's pretty standardized. It's it certainly has a a little there are little tidbits, but basically it's the same steps, but they just changed like the names of what you're calling, you know, some of the some of the steps in there. And uh, it, it, I'm not saying that makes it easy to teach, but at least there's sort of there seems to be some sort of like beginning and end, and then you can wrap it all up in a bow in, in some cases. And I would in, encourage um, we we should talk about it. But if you are if you want to do a whole thing, I do believe we have podcast episodes that we have done about design thinking in the past, um, where we've kind of walked through, and there's there are obviously good places to to learn about it as well. So. Um, just wanted to add that if people were, yeah, you know, it's, it's, start over. it's so interesting. One of the, one of the classes I taught, you know, Dean, you and I, you still are, um, teaching college classes. I've, I've taken a big pause and maybe stopped teaching college classes at this point, but I did for a couple of years as an adjunct instructor at university of Wisconsin. And one of the classes I taught in the UX program there was about design methodologies. I mean, that was the yeah, that's great. the official name, but that's what it was. And um, I remember I reached out to you because I was like, "Help me figure out how to do how to teach them agile," because um, that's you know your agile UX because that's your specialty. But it it was a class I was dreading teaching, you know, um, because it was like, "Oh my God, I got one semester and I'm going to teach." You know, which methodologies am I going to teach them? And then how am I going to do this? And and it actually ended up being one of my favorite classes that I taught. It was quite challenging, but I did design thinking. I did uh, user-centered design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did agile UX. I think those were the three. that. And we walked, through, you know, and we designed stuff using those three methodologies. Right. And uh, so that really brought home to me, you know, the 
the positive aspects of a particular those particular methodologies, the negative aspects of the methodologies, and um, you know, just I mean, I knew this before, but it was just kind of shining a spotlight on on the different methodologies. And so, yeah, I mean, I've and I and and I have taught a semester long course on design thinking, just by itself, and I've taught you know, corporate workshops on design thinking. So, yeah. I, I, I My take on design thinking, what was the question? <laughs> what, what's the question? <laughs> well, uh, trying to explain design thinking, I think, and Guthrie, I think your interpretation of, you know, it's, it's pretty well standardized. I think it's well standardized in the abstract, right? So is it a... The idea of grokking a thing, I think, is a Kirk Vonnegut, a Kurt Vonnegut idea. But I think most people, at least in the in the field, and uh, many in business, kind of grok the general idea of design thinking. But for example, if you look at the the process, right? So we're talking about process. You know, I'm I'm quoting from the book of Robert Curedale, Design Thinking Process and Methods, fifth edition. And the process flow and the double diamond version that he has, which is adopted from the double diamond that most people think of, which was uh, published by the British Design Council in 2005, the, the stages are discover, define, develop, deliver. Those are actually referred to as activities. Uh, the phases, so what's the difference between an activity and a phase? That's an interesting discussion. The way they're depicted here, they're both kind of at the top level of a visualization. But... Uh, the author has listed engage synthesis ideation and implement and if you go to kind of the the roots of the thing this all came out of by the way I mean, we, i'm not going to do a whole historical deep dive into design thinking i'm happy to come back and do that because i've done that research believe it or not but this all goes back to a fellow named john arnold uh, from a course he, he taught at stanford I think in the mid 50s, I'll have to double check the reference, but it was called creative engineering. And anyway, and the process evolved there, but but Stanford was sort of the, you know, the the cradle of civilization for uh, for design thinking. And if you look at the way that Stanford at least currently describes it, they have they publish a PDF process guide and they have a, a slightly different process. Kind of to your point, Guthrie, like you know, they use different terms. It all roughly comes out to be the same thing. Uh, but theirs is empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test, right? And so I, I would argue that for the most part, all of these processes are, in engineering processes as well, are some sort of manifestation of the OODA loop or the, the Schuert cycle, plan, do, check, act, right? Like there's some natural flow to all these things in the process of creating and, and engineering but the steps themselves the activities the things you do in the in them um even the philosophy right so susan you mentioned the idea of um user-centered design as kind of an era of process that we lived through and did a lot of work together defining process in and that was very intentionally human-centered specifically user-centered as much as the design thinking literature uh, includes human-centered as an idea, w one of its faults, I think, is it's not sufficiently human-centered. And if you go back and you look at the history of it, 
indeed, the whole idea of creative engineering, the idea was to unleash the creativity of the designers of the engineers. It was human-centered with a focus on the designer, not human-centered with a focus on the user per se. Now, there's activities in there in terms of building empathy and whatnot, but that's very different from then the uh, what I'll call the usability-centered methodologies that were called human or uh, user-centered design like throughout the 90s and early 2000s, right? So if you go back and you look at a, a publication like Deborah Mayhew's uh, Usability Engineering Lifecycle, it's a thick book, lots of lots and lots of steps. Uh, it was all about making sure that things that you create are usable, and it was very human-centered from a productivity standpoint primarily, less about empathy and, and emotion. And I think that's one thing that you know design thinking has right and that that whole sort of creative school has right is the more of the effective consideration, but it's not very robust, right? It's not robust and it ends at prototyping. It does not go through implementation. So it is not a methodology that is suitable for actually building products, which ultimately, uh, as Steve Jobs ostensibly famously said one time, real artists ship, right? And that's what we want to do is we want to ship products. So anyway, but it's out there and it's a big deal and something that uh, your listeners ought to be very familiar with. Yeah, I agree. I think you need to know about it. You need to understand the useful aspects of it. But it is not. If that was all you knew, I, I know you're not going to be able to design <clears throat> uh, products that are optimized for particular target audiences. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, and that you know that has which had... I think the object-oriented design will do for you because i think and we would probably agree on this because of the importance of aligning what you're designing to a user mental model it's that alignment between a, a designer's yeah, it's model a level and a it's a model. level of detail of process yeah. i mean you know it's interesting because what i i might have talked about this already but whenever guthrie and i are teaching object-oriented design um, in a workshop, which we do, uh, you know, the first thing I will say right up front is this is the hardest thing I teach. This is the toughest thing to learn. It is detailed and it is abstract at the same time. And it's conceptual and it's very process <laughs> driven. And, <clears throat> and it's not going to be easy. So strap yeah, yourself people, in. Yeah, people don't uh, people don't do well with conceptual stuff. And and I just and you know and I want to warn them because I'm trying to engage. You know, the, do you know about um, Connor Demon Yaman? No, I don't there's even think name. I could say it. Yeah, there's a name, Con Connor Demon Yaman. He's an interesting cognitive psychologist guy who. Uh, in addition to having, I think, a PhD and doing research and the kind of stuff we like, also was uh, a, on an early reality TV show and became a big star on it. So he okay. has this weird background. Anyway, he talks about fluency and disfluency. And he talks about the idea that <clears throat> if you think something is easy, is um, if you think something is going to be easy to learn, hmm. which is what he's calling fluency, you actually don't pay that much attention 
do it. And so you don't learn it particularly well. And if you think something is going to be hard, then you, you're like, oh boy, this is going to be tough. I better, I, you know, I'd better really be, I mean, a lot of this happening unconsciously, I'd better really pay attention. You, you actually learn it better. So that's why I, when we start teaching this stuff on object-oriented design and conceptual modeling, I just tell people, you know, get ready. Yeah. This is tough. Um, I do it on purpose. Well, I don't know making, if it helps or not, but I don't no, want them to think this is easy. Now you're making me think maybe we'll need another episode. But <laughs> stop, let's, stop. Let's, 16 more. Cross that <laughs> Rubicon. All right, so keep time. going. I, I well, won't interrupt you too much. Yeah, so so design thinking is kind of, think of it as one school of thought, right? Yes. Like I, at one point in our conversation, I forget when, but I introduced this idea of communities of practice, right? And we sort yeah. of used it for this juxtaposition between designers and developers and the Mars-Venus sort of paradigm. Yeah. But within the design community, design with a capital D, right? Human factors, user experience, interaction design, visual design. Uh, you talk about these process methodologies like design thinking. There are tribes, right? There are sub-communities yeah. within yeah. that. And I think kind of the contemporary manifestation of how I came up and I think where where you were oriented, for example, when you wrote your uh, GUI Design Essentials book and some of the early work that we did, was what I would call user-centered or human-centered design processes. Yeah. Um, there is a book, uh, Hartson and Pila are the authors. It's called the UX book. It's quite a tome. I've taught from it for one semester uh, university courses. And they have what they call their wheel. It's their process. You know, everybody's got their version of this intellectual yep. property, even though it's roughly the same thing. And their flow, uh, again, kind of a two-tiered flow, goes from design solutions, prototype candidates. Uh, I'm sorry, starts with understand needs, then design solutions, then prototype candidates, then evaluate UX. And so the sub text for each one of those stages or phases. I don't know if they're explicit about it. That whole meta conversation is something else maybe we can get into. Uh, but their four steps are then following that flow, understand user work and needs, create design concepts, realize design alternatives, and verify and refine designs. And it, it's a fine methodology. There's nothing wrong with it. That's a pretty high level of abstraction. Yeah. There are you know, more details under that. But that really maps to, if you go all the way back to uh, the ISO standard for human-centered design, I spent seven years uh, as, as part of ISO as a technical expert working on international standards. And, uh, and one of the standards that existed before I got involved was, I think, 9241 um, was the human-centered design process. Mm -hmm. And that is very similar to what the Hartson text has. You plan the process, you understand the, the user and their context, specify requirements. The R word is interesting to come back to. Produce design solutions to meet requirements and then evaluate against the requirements. And that gets to the whole sort of software testing idea of validation versus verification. And that's like a whole rat hole that we could go down. But the point is, is that there are these human-centered, user-centered software-centric indeed processes that exist and have existed for a long time that I think represent a process definition that comes from a slightly different tribe than the design thinking community, right? They're not yeah. incompatible, but they're 
There are different processes. And then there are more idiosyncratic processes as well. And, you know, as I pull up my stack of books, as I do for these discussions, a couple of them that I pulled from the shelf. One was uh, Karen Holtzblatt's Contextual Design. Uh, she's got another, uh, she and her co-author, Hugh, uh, Hugh Beyer, have another version of that called Rapid Contextual Design, which is the one I typically use when I'm teaching this stuff or, or actually doing it for projects. And uh, when I was working at a commercial software company uh, for a few years, uh, over a decade ago, brought Karen in to teach her methodology to my whole team. So it was really interesting working directly with her and getting that experience. And one of the things that's interesting, two, two things about her methodology, not dissimilar from design thinking, doesn't necessarily go through implementation. It's kind of prototyping centric, uh, but it is not just paying lip service to empathy. It, her whole thing about contextual design is uh, going out into the wild and doing field studies, doing eth ethnographic studies, gathering lots of rich qualitative data. So in that sense, it's precisely on point, particularly with upstream, you know, early product development activities that you want to do. But then she has very formal approaches to the modeling of a system mm -hmm. right. from an analysis and design standpoint based on that rich qualitative data. And her her methodology is down to like, you use this color of sticky note for right, this right, level right. of information, right? It's very precise, um, which is great. And so what I like about contextual design, in addition to the, the true human-centeredness, is, um, is the modeling aspect of it and explicitly talking yeah. about modeling in a way that, frankly, good software engineering talks about modeling. I'm a big proponent of Scott Ambler and this, this approach to agile modeling from a technical standpoint. And so, you know, that's a, but that's an idiosyncratic method, right? That's her process. She's got it documented in a couple of books, written plenty of papers and given presentations about it. It's not sort of a more of a generic method, like, like the design thinking and even design thinking, you know, there's the Stanford version and the IDEO version and the right. version from the book I was quoting before and whatnot. Um, and there are other idiosyncratic processes as well. Like one of the other books that I grabbed just because it's interesting is the, uh, the Sprint book, Jake Knapp, uh, Google Ventures guy. And that is a, it's a variation of design thinking, but it's basically take a week and go through the design thinking process. And, and that is a, a flow of map, sketch, decide, prototype, and test, right? So you can see they're all roughly the same, but there are differences that make a difference. Even in the, in the Holtzblatt and the contextual design, as robust as the modeling is, it's very centered on task analysis, uh, but it does right. not explicitly include object analysis, right. which is where I wanted to go next. So, yep. So, do you want to talk about object analysis? I have a couple of here, all these oh, goodies here in oh my, my hand. What do I He's got? He's holding <clears throat> two two goodies from the past. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Uh, Dean just held up, if, you, if you're listening and not watching, he held up uh, a book he and I wrote together called Designing Speech Interfaces <clears throat> uh, from a long time ago. Let's just say that. And also, uh, and in there, in there, we actually talked about, you know, design process in general and not just about 
for speech interfaces. And um, then he was also holding up something called Interphase 5, which was my version, uh, our version of UX process, user-centered design process, that I taught for years and years and years in the workshops I taught. Um, And we're going to revive it, right, Guthrie? We're going to bring it back and modernize it? Uh, that was the, That's the plan. It's all ready yeah. to go. It's just a matter of because, actually wanting to do it. Yeah, because interestingly, <laughs> I, you know, I haven't changed. I ha- it, I'm doing the same thing. I mean, it, it friggin' works. So it just needs to be updated with, you know, some more modern terminology and examples. And and the examples, yeah, I was looking at my, in, in the Interface 5 oh book, God. that is my hand-drawn, like with my little mechanical drafting table. And oh, yeah. I had my little protractor that I used to use, and I just Doing funny to dust this off. a little prototype. Hand-drawn a, prototype. A Windows screen. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But, the, but the thing that we did, so we... Um, both had a history of process engineering and process development. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of that in software process in addition to design process. And so there was sort of the meta level of talking about, well, how do you structure the process, right? At the highest level, are there phases, stages? What do we call those yeah. things, right? Yeah. What's what's yeah. under that? Activities, subactivities, yeah. steps. And, and that, that stuff isn't just semantics, right? Particularly if you're going to teach that, if you're going to deploy it yeah. in an organization where people need to know how to use it, you have to you have to have that rigor of definition. And so we won't turn this into a meta discussion, but but there is that aspect of it. But one of the things that we did was we took all of these best practices that existed in the industry you know, the stuff on the, the contextual inquiry and, and, and building empathy and doing qualitative research up front, all of the goodness from task analysis that's, that's in, the, in the core uh, literature of that era and beyond, um, and carried it all the way through implementation. But we explicitly included in both of those methodologies object analysis, right? That was a, yeah, a, that was a core activity, right? Part. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, too, this whole series has made me think, and, and you're bringing up that, my, my remembering of teaching, I, I had a, a four-day class, uh, which I was basically, was teaching inter, the Interface 5 process. It, it makes me realize that... Um, there's a level of, of rigor to design that has been, I have found really hard to hold on to in the world. You know, it's like uh, um, people don't want to do it. You know, they just don't want, it's a lot of work <laughs> and they just don't want to do it. And they just want to go off and you, you know, I was thinking the other day, Dean, um, I was in some meetings with a client and um, we were, I, I was just thinking about what, you know, what, what's missing and, and what do they need to do and what's different. And it dawned on me that they were um, designed, this team was designing screens 
like they were designing screens and with features. You know, there was features and functionalities and the UX team was designing screens, but they weren't tying that to task flow and task analysis. Right. And so, you know, it was just, it was like, okay, wait a minute. We shouldn't be designing screens. That's not what we're designing. Like, why are we designing screens? We're designing a user's experience through a task. It happens to to be manifesting <laughs> in some screens, but you know the the focus is wrong here, guys. And it but it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, and people don't want to do the work, and they don't want to take the time. That's what I think. And then they get all caught up in the prototyping tool, and the you know they right. jump to uh, details about visual design and details about interaction way too soon. But it's it's just not, you know. My concern, Dean, with with the whole object oriented design is that it's most people don't think it's fun. You and I think it's fun. But well, we're, I yeah, we're warped that way. But most people don't think it's fun, and so it's really easy to just not do it. It's like hard work, and it's not fun. I'm not doing yeah. it. I, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about, um, you know, and even how to frame that. So I'll frame it as robustness of process, right? How robust is your process? And in the software engineering world, you know, you, you will talk about heavyweight versus lightweight processes. And there was a perception, for example, that the classical waterfall technique was heavyweight and there were a bunch of problems with that. Um, so I think that there are two issues with, there are two things driving the state of affairs that you describe. One is uh, education. How are people being taught? What are they being taught? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, under the yeah. poor assumption that they're actually even being taught and coming out of yeah. programs that teach these kinds of things, like the university courses that you and I teach. Uh, most practitioners don't, you know, I'm it's an interdisciplinary that. field. They're coming from all, all manner of backgrounds and, and, that's fine, right? Like that's good. That sort of yeah, well, diversity and also, is good. Even even in a even if they're getting a specific degree in human, you know, in HCI, right? Human computer interaction. I don't think most schools are teaching an object oriented approach. No, no, most so schools. Nobody, are, nobody's right, getting it. Right, you know, right. it's not being taught. Yeah, and they're I mean, ba- they're barely getting sort of the the basic rigor of design thinking or UCD HCD yeah, process. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. So anyway, all right, so, let's 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 move on. Where so that oh. yeah, this was good. So I I do you know this is a there is a robustness. If you're gonna do object oriented design, you are gonna you are going to do a robust design process. Um, well, maybe. Well, like that's a are. that's an interest that's an interesting discussion. So I I want to I want to finish the bite on this robustness because I think the other okay. issue in uh, that's driving the state that you described and I think that's accurate 
is not just education, but it's the process context that we work in. Yeah. Right. So I mentioned waterfall and for forever, that was sort of the way of working. And then the agile movement just caught on like wildfire. And that, that really started to proliferate process thinking. There was a time, I don't know, probably in the early mid nineties where we had kind of a, a leg in each camp. I remember I was, I was consulting at the time. I had uh, two halftime contracts. It's back when I was doing research and design and and not management. And I spent literally half my day in a RUP process for an insurance company, the Rational Unified Process, which is very heavyweight, very object-friendly way of thinking. And then I spent half my day uh, for a retail company. Uh, We were creating a point-of-sale system. And we were using XP, Extreme Programming, which had just oh, come yeah. out and was one of the early yeah. Agile methodologies that was was documented. Yep. And, and yep. Uh, you know, there were a couple of books that Kent Beck wrote on it. And I remember reading those books and thinking, what the hell is this? Like, what? how am I going to make this work for the yep. stuff that I want to do, right? And yep. so I think that that process context, you know, we're talking about software development, software products. But that process context and the shift to Agile took away some of the scaffolding that we would hang our bits onto right. for yep. the work. Exactly. It took away robust requirements as a, as a stage. Yep. It took away analysis as a stage. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing because there are obvious benefits to Agile ways of working. However it makes it more difficult for us to figure out some of the best practices from a design standpoint and literally where they fit logistically into software process. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So So now what do we do? uh, Well, let's pivot to some of the stuff that's not ours. Oh, do you really want to do that? Oh, I want to, I want to, an homage, an homage. I have Fine. a, oh, oh, geez. The stack just crumbled. The stack of books just <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the uh, For those listening, the table that Dean had uh, a, a mountain of books on has collapsed. No, it hasn't. And uh, the, 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 the poor over. wooden legs are no, strewn across no, the floor. No. And the, the weight of the tomes. just over a couple of books. <laughs> no, right. I don't think that's true. <laughs> All right, so we, you know, we we have been very clear. We didn't invent this technique, and it it really came out of uh, a school of thought at at IBM, and kind of the I, I think of the if you only had one book to get, it's of course long out of print, but it's there's one that IBM published called Designing for the User with Ovid, and Ovid is I wonder if they pronounce it Ovid or Ovid. I think it's Ovid. I, is it okay? Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's uh, Object View Interaction Design. And uh, it was an IBM publication, Roberts, Berry, Isensi, and Mullally. Uh, Scott Isensi, one of the other authors, he and somebody else, I forget, who wrote a great book. I think it was called The Art of Rapid Prototyping, but it's yeah, great prototyping kn- book. I know him. Oh, really? Actually, you know Scott? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had personal conversations. Yeah. That's cool. I am a fanboy. I, I yeah. like his, his work quite a bit. Um, and so Ovid is an object-centered design process. So here's the distinction I want to make. There are processes like the 
contextual design process, like the ISO human-centered design process, like design thinking, like design sprint, like lean UX. These things are public. They're available. You can learn them. And they're all good processes, uh, although, you know, take them all with a grain of salt and your mileage may vary, right? Like you need to tailor any process for a given context. Uh, but those do not uh, have object analysis as part of their workflow. Correct. The processes that we created for Interface 5 and for our first book uh, together, those explicitly included object analysis in it. Correct. The Ovid methodology includes object analysis in it. Yeah. It's not just mm -hmm. a, a technique. It is a core part of the process, right? So that's the distinction. Right. And so their development uh, process activities, I should look at the... Uh, at my notes here. Uh, their development activities are requirements analysis, modeling, design, prototyping, evaluation, and implementation. Those are the phases, stages, steps, however you want to think of it mm -hmm. in the process. And so modeling, you know, you, you circle that, that object modeling that we describe and talk about is a core part of the object flow. But yep. even, even that in, in IBM uh, you know, wasn't the only game in town. I used to work at, uh, I spent four years as a consultant at American Express. So I was never a direct employee, but I was there basically full time for, for nearly four years. And in one of the design groups that I was supporting there, uh, there, I'm not even sure how they came to use this methodology, but there was a methodology they used called the bridge. And uh, there was a fellow named Tom Dayton who was at Belcor, and he was doing all of the CHI and uh, UPA, now UXPA conferences and all of that, uh, promoting uh, his, his methodology. And uh, I had seen him at some of the conferences, smart guy, and that I remember learning it from a binder they must have gotten from training that they had used. But there is uh, a version of that in a publication called User Interface Design, Bridging the Gap from User Requirements to Design. Great subtitle. That's an edited volume, and there's a chapter that Dayton and I think a co-author wrote, and it describes the bridge methodology, which is a, quote, comprehensive and integrated methodology for quickly designing object-oriented, multi-platform graphical user interfaces that definitely meet user needs. I don't know about the definitely, but, you know, it's a, uh, it's a good description. And that methodology is similar. The explicit steps are similar to the Ovid methodology with a heavy orientation, not just on object modeling, but on deriving object models from task models. And I'll yeah. pause there because I know you've got thoughts and, and feelings on that. I, I want to touch on a couple of other methodologies that exist, exist just for context and awareness, but I think this issue between object modeling and task modeling is really important. So Susan, maybe you Yeah, yeah, describe. no, no, I you know, uh, uh this all this stuff was going on around the same time, right? And and uh it's 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 great work that in my opinion, you know, stands the test of time. Um so I think that object modeling is really useful from an, for interface design. And I think uh, it, because we are, 
you know, if you are user oriented and user experience oriented, then the best object model to use is one that is a blend of object modeling and task analysis so that you are deriving your objects from a robust analysis of uh, how people want to do that particular task. And if you do it that way, then not only do you have, do you have a great place to, you know, a great bridge, as Dayton said, yeah. um, for, for moving from, you know, conceptual ideas to, okay, so how do we design the interactions then, right? That's your bridge. That's right. your, that's why you need that. Um, but then you can be sure that the the interaction design that you create from your object model will be usable, will m meet user needs because you did the task analysis part first, and then you derived your object model from that, and then you design your screens from that. And yeah. you know, it's. Um, I remember when I first started teaching this, and I think that maybe, that maybe the first time I ever taught this might have been, I mean, I had been speaking about it, but I think the first time I put a workshop together might have been um, in Minneapolis, Dean, um, at Cargill Corporation. Ah. And, uh, and, and it was to a bunch of programmers and, you know, analysts. It wasn't used... UX people, because uh, there were no UX, very, very <laughs> few UX people in the world right. at that point. Right. So you know the people who were doing, who you taught these workshops to, was programmers, and um, and I and I put it that way to them. Uh, I said, "This is you know you've got all this kind of analysis stuff that you that you do." And then you got to somehow get to creating a screen. You know, this is this is the bridge. This That's is right. the thing that will get you from point A to point B. You know, other and it was interesting. And actually, in that workshop, I did two things. The first thing I did was I gave him a setup and the situation and the users, and and I said, okay, design screens. You know, they had everything supposedly they needed to design a screen. And, you know, they sat there and they thought about it and they drew, literally drew a box, you know, and then started to con talking about, oh, what are we going to put on the screen? And it took them a really long time <laughs> to right. do it. Right, and right. the results were like, eh, and everybody had a totally different design. So and then I said, okay, now, here's a different scenario, different type of application, different users here. And I gave them the, you know, end of the object model point, right? Because if, if you do this right, if you do this bridge, you end up with, you know, a screen flow navigate. I gave them right, that yeah. and said, now design the screen. And then they were just like, you know, they designed it quickly and easily and it was like, okay, what's the, what was the difference, you know? So, so they kind of realized before we even started teaching what that was and how we got there. You know, they realized that, oh, if I've actually got all this stuff, then the design of the screens 
is a lot easier, you know, and it, right. I know what to design. So it is a bridge. I think it absolutely is a bridge between, you know, what, what your, your initial analysis of what you should be designing and, and then how do I get there? How do I get to the screens? Yeah, no, I, it's, it's so powerful and it, it, it makes me sad that, um, you know, I think, I guess it makes me, it makes me really rethink Guthrie, um, what the work that we're doing and the workshops that we're teaching and, you know, it, the interesting thing is nobody will ask us to teach them this. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's wait and see if people will ask us to teach them this. They won't, you know, because they don't know about it and they don't know how powerful it is. And it's hard to explain. Um, the, the Actually, interestingly, and maybe we should go back to this because the way that I used to do a lot of it, was I just called it um, the secrets of intuitive design, right? And then everybody wanted to know what that was. You know, <laughs> if I said I'm going to teach you object view modeling, right? You know, nobody wanted yeah. that. But if I said I'm going to teach the secrets of intuitive design, it was like oh, I want to know what that is. So I think we may have to go back to that. Yeah, I think the trouble is that people want a shortcut. You know, it's if you've got any sort of uh, regular relationship with social media, you see these streams that are all, whether it's health hacks or investing hacks or, you know, get rich quick themes. Well, get, we'll just get, call get, it you know, design that, hacks. Let's yeah, just it, call it's a design. It that. It's a design. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's all marketing. But the, but the thing that, you know, the robustness question, right? All this upfront. Yeah. Work, just, just nobody like you were describing in your, I know. Yeah. You were describing in your, your example there. Nobody wants to do the upfront work. I, I'm sitting here in my music studio and I, you know, have a whole kind of second career in, in that arena. And from a composition standpoint, and I was, you know, university trained and, and have studied with uh, great composers and arrangers over the years. One of the common practices and something that I do is to develop a framework for a composition before you write a note. Right, you will sit down and you will imagine. You will hear in your imagination ideas, a motif, whatever that you'll capture, and the structure that you put together, literally in a diagram. Right, is then that that framework that you use to drive your actual composing. And from that structure, then you can start with harmony. You can start with melody. You can start with rhythm, whatnot. But you go through and you imagine the orchestration and the structure and well I'm going to go from this to a solo section to an ensemble section to the bridge to then the recapitulation and you write that down right and so this upfront work before you do the detail work it's exactly the same as you don't start in a sprint on sprint one day one drawing screens Right, like that's not how this works. If you want any kind of quality, and yet that's what most people do. And if you look at the process context from a software standpoint, plenty of software methodologies preceded these agile methodologies. And the agile methodologies tried to take this notion of uh, incremental and iterative, right, as two attributes of their methodology. Everybody gets the incremental part, which is, ah, oh, you build a little bit, you build a little bit more, you build a little bit more, and you keep tacking on that. Nobody gets iteration. Nobody wants to actually iterate. The 
secret sauce or the secrets of intuitive design include the object-oriented paradigm, but also just plain the plain Definitely. old hard work of iteration, right? right? Like you have to iterate your way to right. quality designs, and that's hard to do. Agile has promised that, well, it's the, the promise is it's just software. So unlike architecture, you know, if we build something we don't like, we can change it. Nobody has the intellectual honesty on a routine basis to change and refactor things. Right. And that's a major problem in the industry. It's this, it's this push towards feature, 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 which then introduces another problem from a UX perspective, which is feature bloat, which is rampant. Right. And so there are, these are deep systemic problems in our industry, really. Glad I could cheer you up. You guys, you're going to, you're going to solve it today. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So did we answer the question of where this fits? Um, well, we can, we can start to address that. I think, I think to, it's twofold. Right. One is there are these methodologies, and, and I've described some. There's another. I'll hold up some books for anybody who's watching. There's a book called Object Modeling and User Interface Design. Uh, Mark Von Harmelin is the editor of that, and he has a uh, – I think this is the idiom one. I love that. Yeah, he's got an object-oriented methodology he calls idiom. I love the name. Uh, that's documented in that book. I, that may or may not be out of print. This one is still in print. Uh, this might be a great starting point for folks who are interested. Uh, and it is a book by Dave Collins, Designing Object-Oriented User Interfaces. Uh, Collins was another IBMer, right? A lot of this stuff comes out of IBM. And uh, he has what he calls the OOUI design process, uh, which again is very heavy on that relationship between object and task analysis. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the question of where it fits, I think, is there's, it depends, and it's twofold. One is it fits right in the middle, in the core, as a key core, not optional step in the process, right? It, yeah. is, it is a key component to your methodology. And so if you are creating a design methodology, a design process, one of the things to consider is the extent to which, from a philosophical standpoint, you believe in object orientation and you want to include that as a, as a core activity. In that case, it's got to be there, and it's a required activity, phase, step, stage, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. That's one scenario. Another scenario, and, and I would say then, if that is the case, then what you're talking about is a prescriptive methodology in a team context, we are saying to a design team, an engineering team that partners with them, this is how we're going to do this stuff. Yep. And objects are in the in the middle of the workflow, and so we're going to rally around that, and that's just going to be part of how we do this cooperative work. It's there as a team. If that is not the case, and you believe philosophically in the value and the merit of this approach, then I think as a personal or individual process, you squeeze it in as a technique rather than part of the process framework, but it's a technique for your personal process that you just do. Maybe you do it as a team. Maybe you can get some dispensation for that. Maybe you do it as a subgroup. But for example, in you know, as I've progressed in my career and gone into the executive ranks and had more 
more of my life be about budgets and spreadsheets and things like that as opposed to drawing screens. There's not a lot of occasion for me to kind of roll my sleeves up with that sort of thing. But on occasion, it happens whether something I have keen interest in or there's a need or whatever. And uh, I have always reverted back to, even on an individual basis, I need to understand as a designer, I need to understand the task and workflow. I need to create even a crude object model for me to get my head around how I'm going to do this. This is why I'm a big proponent of Scott Ambler's agile modeling, which has nothing to do with UX. That's a software engineering thing, but it's basically, look, you don't need UML. You don't need all these fancy tools. You don't need pixel perfect designs of your models. What you need is to spend a few hours doing the modeling activity, sloppily draw it on a whiteboard and take a picture of it. That's good enough. Right. And so I do the UX equivalent of that. So I think the place for it is different if you're talking about team process versus personal process. And if it's personal process, then you do it lightweight, you squeeze it in, but that's better than not doing it. Some is better than none. Okay. Okay. I, you might be able to talk me into that. I think <laughs> either, either way, though, you know, where, where it goes right? Where it goes is, you know, I, I, it's probably, let's see, before you start creating screens. Absolutely. Without whatever that is, if you're prototyping, right. if you're drawing, hand drawing, if you're in Figma, if you, whatever, before yeah, I, you start drawing screens, the, that's where it fits. Yeah, and there's the distinction between new product and an existing product. If you're redesigning an existing product, there are screens that exist. You can actually reverse engineer very quickly that's right. an object model. But if you're that's designing right. a new product from scratch, then you have to have research and analysis that informs that model. That's right. Right. Yeah, I, you know, it's... um, And I do think... I. You know, b basically, I would say, for if people are interested in in trying any of this, I mean, first of all, I think some of those books that you mentioned are are good and really useful. But basically, I would say, look, um, uh, to start, maybe I should ask you that, Dean. Let's say I'm an an interaction designer. I don't know about this object oriented stuff. I've never done it that way. You know, I'm interested in this. I think it might be useful. It's not part of the formal process that is followed in wherever it is I work. How do I, how do I get started? I mean, I, I have some ideas about that, but what would, what would you say? Uh, well, now that I'm back in consulting, I would always say it depends, right? But one of the big things is, uh, as an Australian friend of mine said, you need some thinking time, mate. Like, you need some thinking time. We, we, cannot, we cannot solve these types of problems, thinking through a problem space, thinking through a, a solution space, thinking through the analysis. You're not going to arrive at a, a good conclusion in 30 minutes in between a, a boss meeting and a HR meeting or something, right? Like this, this work life that we have where you're bouncing from meeting to meeting and you don't get 
deep thinking time. I think it's the Aaron Digman uh, deep work idea, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the author of that book. Uh, it's deep work. And so it requires thinking time. So if you want to start someplace, the very first thing, even bereft of any research analysis, you know, prior modeling data, tasks, anything, is based on what you know, sit down for a few hours. And I think pen and pencil and paper, right? Like get away from the digital environment. You can look stuff up, but start to sketch. Big proponent of sketching, modeling, just talking boxes and arrows stuff. This is not art school, right? And start to explore, go through some exploratory work of capturing your own understanding of a system. Now, that will be a better and more true or accurate activity if you go into that armed with user research, task analysis, mm -hmm. a set of requirements, even user stories. Uh, if you're in a redesign, like I say, some sort of reverse engineering of, a, of an existing system, some sort of domain model, entity relationship model, something, class diagram, you know, you can get, gather these inputs, right? So there's kind of three, you know, good, better, best. It's good to just sit down and start thinking about it. It's better to have inputs to that thinking time. And the best thing is to do the generative activities of research and analysis to inform that, that model. And one of the things that in, uh, I think it was your GUI Design Essentials book in you know, I'm not sure the, the origin of this, but I believe that's where I picked up this idea of explicitly defining in design, informing artifacts and, and designs themselves, uh, current state versus future state. And in this modeling, you, you talk, you, you joke about the muddle, right? Like we muddle our way through things. In these analysis and modeling activities, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people get wrapped around the axis, uh, wrapped around the axle rather, and they are conflating current state and future state. And I've had to step right. in and say, hey, 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 look, look, are you drawing a model about the way things are right. or the way you, you want things to be, right? So just that alone, like do a current state model. Now think about the problems and opportunities that exist. How are we going to improve the future state that we're designing the future now draw up the future state model just being clear about that and whiteboard rough drawing take a picture share that with the team boy that that sort of lightweight approach because of the clarity that it brings in the thinking around what we're collectively doing is um it's worth its weight in gold yeah yep so um wrapping up the series. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, I do want to make, uh, Guthrie, am I allowed to make a plug? You can do anything you want. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I just uh, professionally, you know, Guthrie and I are thinking about you know, next steps for us and what we want to work on next. And uh, Dean, you, you've you talked to Guthrie and I about this whole object-oriented thing. What do we want to do with it? How much do we want to revive it? Um, so maybe there'll be some new stuff coming out from our collective work. But I do want to mention, 
that we have uh, two courses, uh, online video courses that exist that people can take um, that are that are exactly about this. Uh, one is our course on user research that talk you know takes you through the scenarios and the task analysis and the current task analysis and the future task analysis you know and that whole thing right that's all in there and then the next course which is on conceptual models and guess what that covers how you know how to come up with objects and views and what to do with it so i mean this, this stuff you know if you want to learn more Kathy, this is our plug we we have these two online courses. Uh, go to uh, go to our website, which is the teamw.com. Yep, and click on courses, and then look. Or go for, to courses.theteamw.com. Is the yeah, other way to do it? And look for the two court one course on user research, one course on uh, conceptual models, and you know that that will teach you how to do this. So that's one one avenue if you're interested in learning more, um, and then. You know, maybe there will be, uh, Dean, from you and me and Guthrie, some new stuff that we might put together to to help revive all this. But I really, I really encourage, if you're interested at all in this, I encourage you to to um, check it out. I, you know, if you're designing, uh, if you're doing UX work, and if you're designing anything that is moderately to severely complex. Yeah, that's right. Okay. We're not talking about necessarily um, the website for your aunt's uh, craft store that she's put together. Okay. Auntie's crafts. You could use it for that. But if we're talking about you're designing anything that is fairly complex, um, it, object modeling, object-oriented design is absolutely the way to go. Yeah, I so. totally agree. And I, I had an early mentor uh, prior to, probably prior to working with you first, who used to always say, simplify to clarify. And I think that the idea of an object model and the way it simplifies our conceptual understanding of the system and empowers you to make design decisions based on it uh, is again just worth its weight in gold so it's a it's a worthwhile activity and certainly certainly worthy of listening to six podcast episodes <laughs> well if they've listened to all of them then maybe maybe they either are ready to learn more or ready to move on I, I don't know which it is Dean, thank you so much for the series. It's been uh, it's been really fun recording this with you, and I really appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, it's just always delightful to talk shop, and hopefully, we uh, shared some stuff with people that they'll be interested in, and get something out of it, and help design a better world for people. Because that's all we're trying to do is just make the world a little bit better for human beings. Guthrie, if people want to reach us, how do they do that? You can email info at theteamw.com. Thanks. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for the series. Bye. Bye.